Take your Bibles tonight and go with me if you would. Back to the book of Genesis, we're looking at ancient homes with modern problems, ancient homes with modern problems. And if you have your notes there tonight, we want to look at an additional home. We're going to find our way to Genesis chapter 25. Genesis chapter 25. We've looked at the home of Adam and Eve and the problem in their home, the modern day problem that they had was that of disobedience. They disobeyed God. It was one rule. Satan caused them to doubt God's word. They followed Satan's leading. Eve was deceived and Adam sinned. Adam willfully chose to disobey God. And so in Adam, all of us have been affected. So we looked at the home of Adam and Eve. We looked at the home of Lot and his wife. The issue for them was defection. They had the opportunity to be in the place of blessing, but they chose through the strife and through the enslavement there from the kings in chapter number 14, they chose to live in Sodom. And boy, when you live in Sodom, when you sign that lease agreement with Satan, it's going to be difficult. And they had signed a a lease agreement with Satan to live in Sodom and Gomorrah. And they faced great difficulties, and again, Lot lost his family. We come to Genesis chapter number 25 tonight, and I want you to see the home tonight of Isaac and Rebekah, the home of Isaac and Rebekah. And in this home, the issue that we're going to look at tonight or the problem, the ancient home of the modern problem, the modern problem is that of deception. Deception. So Adam and Eve, disobedience. Lot and his wife, defection. And now we come to the home of Isaac and Rebekah, and it's this matter of deception. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like to be deceived. I don't like to be deceived, and I, I, I do remember trying to deceive my parents, but somehow my mother always knew the truth, and she'd always figure it out, and I'd get caught. I wasn't that smart or as smart as I thought I was, but At this stage of my life, I don't like being deceived. I don't want to be deceived about an item that I'm getting ready to purchase. I don't want to be deceived about someone's life. I don't want to be deceived uh, by church members. I want to have discernment and wisdom. But in this home, there was a problem with deception. Now, in the passage, if you'll turn with me then to Genesis chapter 25, let's look at verse number Uh, Let's see, verse number 19. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife. Do you remember the story? The story, of course, is told where the servant of Abraham goes into the country of his home, uh, of Abraham's home and family area, and finds Rebekah, brings her back, She marries Isaac. The Bible says he gets married at 40 years old. The Bible then says in verse number 21, and Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord was entreated of him and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. We learn from the scriptures that this is about 20 years into their marriage. And so Isaac, chapter 25, verse number 24, is 60 years old when um, the children are born. So they prayed and prayed and prayed, and God granted their desire. Now, this is the interesting thing because it's, it's, it's significant for us to note In these days, there's no technology that tells them what's going on. So you don't have an ultrasound machine. I remember the first time uh, that we went with our first child and we got to see the ultrasound. And it is just unbelievable. This is now 20 years ago and technology is even ramped up further and beyond what we saw in our day. I frankly believe that technology is far surpassing the argument of the abortion industry because technology is revealing that children are children and that they can feel, touch, and know everything that's going on, 
even though they're inside the womb. And it's even getting more and more spectacular when we hear of the earlier stages in which children actually survive and they're born earlier and earlier. So the the argument that the abortion industry has always made is that it's just some random additional, you know, fetus and everything like this. It's not really a human being. Technology is outpacing their argument. They're going to have to come up with something else. And in fact, that's exactly what they're doing. But the Bible says it. And by the way, what they're doing is they're now determining it based upon a wanted or unwanted pregnancy. So it's no longer about it being a fetus and so forth. It's now, well, they didn't want to have. Do you want to terminate the pregnancy? If I could throw this in as well, I'm amazed that a hundred of our senators in a in a first world nation could not agree on the protection of the life of a baby that survives abortion. And just a little while ago, they had a they had a vote in our Senate, and it did not pass that they would vote to protect the life of a baby that has survived abortion. And I, I just, I, I don't get that. I, I don't get that. But that's the state. Well, here in the passage, there's no ultrasound. There's no way for them to know the whys. So there's nothing that they can do to go into this life and this body and decipher and what they're going to do and everything like this. Later on, we find that there were probably some, uh, I'll use this analogy. Is anyone into certain oils that you can use? So my wife knows a little bit about these oils and everything like this. And if you're, uh, if you're dealing with a headache on the third Tuesday of the month of February, and you take some oil and with your right hand, you dab it on your left ear, it will remove the migraine, you know, or something like this, you know. And so I'm just kidding. There, there are a number of them that did. she, she has, she has the, the Todd's driving oil and she takes the cap off when we're headed to church and I'm driving and she's like, please Lord, get us there safely. Please Lord, get us there safely. And I'm like, what are you doing? She's like, this is the calming oil. This is the calming oil, you know? Well, they did have other things that came along and they kind of used them. And you'll see it if you follow the passage out with uh, Jacob and his wives and so forth and what they thought would bring about a pregnancy and so forth. But here we are, Rebecca is pregnant. They've prayed for a child for these 20 years. And lo and behold, she's got something going on. This is not normal. I meant to ask if they, we, if we have any twins any twins tonight? That's that was one to be one of my questions. No twins, all right. We do have the twin. Yes, Mike and Mark. Yes, I should have known that. I should have responded on that. So my mom was a twin, but her twin did not survive birth, and it passed away in birth. So my mom was is a twin, but her twin brother did not survive birth, and so she was obviously raised with her three older brothers, but. They didn't know that it was necessarily going to be twins unless God intervened and said, hey, this is going on. So perhaps during the pregnancy, she feels a little bit of kick over here and a little kick here. Man, that's a big kid. What's going on? And so they reach this point in praying for the children. The Bible says, look again with me at verse number 22. After Isaac had entreated the Lord, his wife had been barren. He entreated of him. And Rebekah, his wife, conceived, look at verse 22, and the children struggled together within her. And she said, if it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said unto her, two nations are in thy womb. Ladies, did you ever think that about your kid? (laughs) I don't know what's going on there, but it's two nations, okay? Two nations are in thy womb. And two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels, and the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. So here's the prognostication. Here's the prophecy. Hey, two are going to be born. It's interesting. We've got twins in our academy, several twins in our academy. And I'll ask him, okay, who's the older one? You know, and they'll say, oh, I'm the older one. I'm like, how old? How much older are you? Well, normally one minute, two minutes. We, how much how much difference is there between you and there's five minutes? Oh my goodness, who's the older between you two? Mark. Mark is the older? Okay. 
So five minutes, that's probably one of the highest number of minutes that I've heard with twins. So we had a, a set of twins that were growing up and, and they were they were three minutes apart. But normally you'll hear, you know, so many minutes apart and they're both born. Again, keep in mind, this is Bible times. This is long time ago. No modern technology, no hospital to put them in or anything like this. But supernaturally, God reveals to Rebecca that she's going to give birth to twins. These twins are both going to lead a nation. And the Bible says that the elder shall serve the younger. I can't imagine that they didn't begin to say, well, this is going to be interesting. So let's read further. Verse number 24. And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red all over like an hairy garment. One of the things that they used to say about ladies when they were pregnant is if they had a lot of indigestion, they would always say, oh, your child's going to be born with a lot of hair, you know, or something along those lines, okay? So she must have had a lot of indigestion. There was an oil for that, though. (laughs) And the Bible says they called his name Esau. And after that came came his brother out, and his hand took hold on Esau's heel. Now, again, just envision this. The brother came out, and then right after him, on the, on, the, on the heels, literally, of this baby, the hand comes out. Now, wives, you know as well as I do, that's not a helpful process. What does the doctor always say? The doctor says in the birthing time frame, and by the way, I thought I was going to be one of the fathers that would pass out. Uh, but through the process that night, both of our boys were born in the five o'clock hour. Am I correct on that? Five o'clock in the morning. And I was like, honey, this is really cool. Man, you're doing magnificent. This is wonderful. And now she received an epidural and she said, doc, I've still got some pain. The doc said, you shouldn't be feeling anything by now. So I thought it was so cool as to the epidural process. I'm like, doc, can I do the second one? Thankfully, he said no. (laughs) And uh, this is in the overnight hours. And so got my wife, she's numb and everything like this. Well, what is the doctor looking for? He's looking for the head. This is not good. This is not the wife saying, oh, this is going to be pleasurable. Yippee. And by the way, there's no oil for this. (laughs) All right. So just imagine that the twin is coming out and you're just so excited about receiving the one twin, but there's a hand reaching forth for the heel of that other twin. So put this all in your mind's eye. And the Bible says the first came out red all over like an hairy garment. That's just an odd description. And they called his name Esau. And after that came his brother out and his hand took hold on Esau's heel his name was called Jacob, and Isaac was threescore years old when she bare them. So prayed for 20 years that God would give them children, and now he blesses them, not with one, but with two. So we've got a stroller. This is going to be interesting. Be careful what you pray for, you know. You've now got two. And both boys now go with what the Bible says in the next verse, verse number 27. And the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter and a man of the field, and Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And Jacob sought pottage, and Esau came from the field, and he was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die, and what profit shall this birthright do to me? And Jacob said, Swear to me this day. And he swore unto him, and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils. And he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. All right, we've read the passage here, and now let's delve into this further. Isaac is 60 years old when he when his wife gives birth to these twins, and we've already stated the problem, it's the problem of deception. So walk through this home with me and see how this was brought to this place. Would you notice, number one with me, the conditions that led to the deception? Now again, I've tried to 
address a lot of the problems that we have in marriage, but I just haven't preached an entire message on finances, or I haven't just preached an entire message on communication or physical intimacy. But woven through each of these homes are the very issues that you and I will face. And this, I believe, is a very significant problem in marriages, and it's this matter of deception. There are conditions that led to the deception, and I want you to see all these tonight, because in this passage, we find that husband is against wife, wife is against husband, parents are against the children, and children are against the parents. How did all of this come to being? How did all this come to pass? Well, number one, in these conditions that led to the deception, there is favoritism of the parents. Favoritism of the parents. Now, I have an older brother. He's two years and 11 months older than me. I have a younger sister. She's two years and 11 months younger than me. So there's three of us. We're all born 68, 71 And then the winter Christmas day, yippee, my sister came home from the hospital. Okay. So her birthday's December the 23rd and she came home and that was our present that year. (laughs) It's well known in our family that I'm the favorite. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. So here's, here's the dynamic of our three kids, Brian, Kim, and, and Todd. Yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. So my brother was perfect. I'm telling you, my brother did no wrong. If my parents were here tonight and they said that they ever disciplined my brother, I would still call them liars to this day. I don't think my brother ever did anything wrong. My sister was the baby. She came home on Christmas. What more need I say? She got away with everything. All right. She's my kid sister and everything like this. She's the baby. So lo and behold, in truth, just in fairness to how they raised the three of us, I really faced all the scrutiny. And Primarily, I was a perfect child. They just looked for a lot of errors and found that there were some things that weren't altogether right. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I was, I was a, a handful. So my dad was, our, was my first principal in 1976 when the school started. And my kindergarten teacher was Mrs. Henry. And it was not uncommon for Mrs. Henry to go to my dad's office and say, Mr. Abby, please come to my class. I've got an issue. And my dad was just like, please don't be Todd. Please don't be Todd. He'd get to the class. It would be Todd. In those days, they were able to apply the seat or the the board of education to the seat of learning in the school. And so my dad took that opportunity as my principal and he disciplined me at school. And then I would get home and my dad would say, I heard you had trouble at school today. (laughs) And he'd say something like, well, Son, son, then I was your principal. Now I am your father. And I'm like, oh boy. So my dad had a double opportunity to invest in my life. (laughs) And we had some wonderful times, okay? But I'll say this, all joking aside, my parents demonstrated that they loved all three of us. And they demonstrated that to us in every single way possible. They were thrilled to death for my brother's successes and thrilled to death for my successes. They were thrilled to death for my sister's successes. And and I will say this, they absolutely trained us up the exact same way. My brother did not take as much on the physical side of investment and discipline as I did. But my parents were entirely just in the way that they trained up all of us. One of the dangers that's occurring in the climates of family life today is that, and it's mentioned even tonight in the differences of age, parents that have that first child will be just ultra, ultra tuned into everything that they're doing. Do you remember this? You remember that first child? If that pacifier touched anything that you thought had any kind of germ on it, it was thrown out. By the second child, put it back in. You know, <clears throat> the, the oldest child, the best of diapers, 
the best of all the car seats, the best of all the, you know, carriers and everything like this. Second child, I mean, the videos that we have of our first child are volumes. They're voluminous. The second one, eh, been there, done that, you know, no problem at all. Hey, just get the cheap diapers off the back of the shelf. Are there any that have a broken box? You know, just get whatever you can. Don't even worry about the good baby food. Gerber, are you kidding me? Just get the Gliber stuff. You know, it's the off brand, you know. Uh, The truth of the matter is that we do the same thing often in the arena of discipline. And we will take opportunity to raise them up in different ways. When in truth, God has commanded us as parents to be as vigilant in our arena and fight against the flesh of our oldest as we are in the arena and flesh of our youngest. And so we, we want to tune into their nature. My brother had a different nature than I had. But my parents were tuned into him and they were vigilant in his life. They were vigilant in my life. They were vigilant in my sister's life. In this passage, the Bible clearly tells us there, verse number 28, you see that? Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. It was very clear that the boys had a divided attention from the set of parents. And so favoritism rocked this family. Why did it happen? Well, their appearance was very different. Esau was a very hairy man. Jacob, very smooth. Their attributes, one of them is carefree. The other one is calculating. One of them is independent. Mom, dad, I'll be gone for a few days hunting. Don't bother with me. I'll be fine. Oh, that's so great. Bring back something good. The other one stays around the kitchen. He was not independent. He was interdependent. Their appearance was different. Their attributes were different. Their activities were different. One is a hunter. One is just a homebody. You know, we have one son that is military oriented. And so he's driven He spent nine straight months at Fort Benning, Georgia in training after training after training after training. And as he would pass one class or one set of training, they allowed him to go on to another and then another and then another. We just kept saying, son, just keep going. If you pass, keep going, don't quit. And so the Lord afforded him all these opportunities and we're thankful for it. But I look at my other son, I'm like, hey, do you want to do that? No, I'm not going there. That's crazy. It's too hot in Fort Benning, Georgia. That's Crazy. Why would someone want to do that? Why would they deprive themselves of food and sleep and and be yelled at constantly? You know, the other son just, he doesn't see it the same way. Now they have many similarities, but they are vastly different. The one son is very aggressive and we homeschooled both of them for a long time. One of them would hit a wall about a subject and perhaps you have kids like this. In homeschooling, he'd hit a wall on something, and he's like, I'm not satisfied that I don't know how to do that. So he's YouTubing it, he's looking up on Khan Academy, he's looking through all these things like, man, I've got to figure this out. My other son, wall, you know, and he's going the other direction. And so math is not his thing. He frankly could care less if any mathematician lived and survived in the rest of creation. It is just not his thing. But he is a Lego guy. He is a builder. He's thinking things out differently. But you know what? I've never gone to one of them and said, hey, you're coming with me because I really like the stuff that you have in your life. And I'm not so much in favor of what the other one has. And boy, when we look into this home and we take better stock, we realize that much of the problem came because of the favoritism of the parents. And so let me encourage you, as you have opportunity to influence kids, whether they're your own or your nieces and your nephews, or they're even children in your children's church, do your dead level best to treat them all with love and compassion. And uh, sometimes they're unlovely, but we want to present to them a, 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 a lack of favoritism, if you'll, if you'll let me say it that way. So number one, favoritism of the parents. What was the other condition that led to the deception? Number two was the foolishness of Esau. We find it here in chapter 25 when Esau sells his birthright. 
This kind of foolishness should have been put out of Esau's life earlier on, but it wasn't. And here's the the issue there in Esau's life. He was willing to sacrifice the future for the temporal. And boy, if you and I have a youngster that is so consumed by the temporal, we better take stock and we better help them see that the future is what matters. Don't sacrifice the temporal, the, the future, the eternal on the altar of the temporal. And Esau said, hey, I'm going to be happy to get this bowl of food that will sustain me for the next five hours. And I'm going to sacrifice everything that God would otherwise do with my life as being the rightful owner of the birthright. The foolishness of Esau. But then there's another one that we see. It's not just the favoritism of the parents or the foolishness of Esau. But number three, the other condition that led to the deception is the fear in the mom and the son. Fear in the mom and the son. So mom thinks back to earlier verses. And what did God say? God said the elder is going to serve the younger. And it's almost as though from that day forward that the mom is trying to figure out how this is going to happen. So it'd be like me coming to you guys. If you have a son, let's take the youngest one that's been added to the camp staff here. And her name is Ellie. Okay. Eliana. She goes by Ellie. Okay. So if I supernaturally, if I was the angelic being Gabriel and I appear to them and I say, here's what I say. Your daughter will be the president of the United States one day. Wow. Okay. We've got to start making that happen. She's going to school. She's going to be the best in her grades. She's got to be all this and more. She's got to go to college. She's got to get the master's. She's got to get the doctorate. She's got to get all these things because they're going to start to orchestrate what they think. Your daughter is going to be the president of the United States. By the way, she'd be better than what we have now. But anyway, um, um, probably could pronounce names better than what is pronounced now. But anyway, I digress. I'm not normally a political preacher, but anyway. If you knew from the supernatural standpoint, hey, my child is going to be this, you, I mean, just naturally think about it. We would begin to say, okay, how's this going to work out? And Rebecca in her mind, I'm sure had conversations with Jacob and said, honey, now you know what God told me. And she begins to work it out and to try to manipulate things to bring about God's best. Now, let me just say this. God can work out his will (laughs) with or without you and me, right? We understand that. But the truth of the matter is that Rebecca is trying to do what she should not do to bring about what God has already said is going to happen. Mark it down. God never lies. But they are fearful that it's not happening quickly enough. It's not happening. Now, let me ask you tonight, are there any of these ingredients in your home? You've got multiple kids. Are you already starting to show kind of that favoritism towards them? And they already know that they can drive a wedge between mom and dad. This is a very big deal. Hey, if I go to dad, he'll say no. If I go to mom, she'll say yes. I'll, I'll find out which one's going to tell me what I want to hear. They're geniuses at such a young age. Oh, mom will say no. Now, I don't know about you, but in our home, mom was the stricter disciplinarian. I would much rather my dad have disciplined me than my mom. Oh, one day I stole M&Ms from a grocery store. I went in, I picked up the package, went out to the car, and don't believe them for a second, they do melt in your hands. And so I had M&Ms all over my hands. And my mom comes down and is like, what are you doing out in the car? And then sees the M&M bag. Oh, she was furious. Again, my brother, my sister, perfect children. (laughs) Have to pinpoint my errors. (laughs) Oh, she was so fired up. We went home. I mean, when they say beat you within an inch of your life, I think that's what it was. 
And she disciplined me. I'm just kidding when I say, all joking aside, she disciplined me in love. But she made me go back to Safeway and I had to go up to that manager and say, would you please forgive me because I stole this package of M&Ms. Boy, mom can be awful tough. But at the same time, maybe in some homes here, mom is the pushover. And kids know, well, I know your dad said you have to be home by 10, but don't worry about that. I'll make it okay. And so mom is working against dad and dad's working against mom and you have this favoritism and it's doing great damage to your kids. Maybe there's foolishness that is bound in one of your children and it needs to be driven from them. And you're like, well, I just see so much of myself in them that I just don't want to. And here's what's happening in modern day homes. Well, we just want our children to learn things for themselves. We don't want to put down any barriers or boundaries. We just want them to be educated on their own. Can I just tell you that there's a reason why God put an adult in the house? It's because he wants you to tell your children, don't touch the stove. It's hot. Oh, I just want my children to learn on their own. Turn on the gas Child, you see, get over there close. Just snuggle up to it. Put your hand on it. Ouch. Oh, honey, did that hurt? Oh, for the love of Pete. Please be a parent that drives the foolishness from your child. There's a reason why God gave us kids and he gave them to us for 18 years of boot camp. That they might be trained up and then sent out. Please train them and prepare to prepare them to be sent out so that they're ready to go. Foolishness needs to be driven from them. But again, maybe some are living in fear. You're just like, I've got to do everything I can to manipulate things for my kids. And I've got to do everything I can so that they get the best of this and the best of that. No, you need to trust God and let them be the young people that God would have them to be. By the way, can I just tell you one of my pet peeves? When parents compare kids to each other, well, why can't you be more like Johnny? He's smart. He gets good grades and he's just a superior kid. Listen, listen, drive that far from your vocabulary and drive your children to be more like Christ. I don't care what my boys do in life if they will do exactly what God wants them to do. We have never driven them to be in the ministry. We've never said, bless God, your dad's a pastor, so you got to be a pastor. I thought at one point in time, one of my sons would probably be a pastor. I thought maybe the other one uh, might go to the mission field or something like that. I could see one of them as kind of being the pioneering missionary. I could see the other one as kind of the pastoral caregiver. But you know, we never said, you got to be in the ministry. What if we always said, I just want you to do exactly what God wants you to do. Can I say it to you this way? And I will praise my brother to no end. My brother is a godly layman. My brother walks closer to the Lord than I probably will ever walk. My brother loves the Lord and has served the Lord. And he just simply, he simply goes to work every day, fulfills his secular job, but has been faithful in a local church from the time that he got married and so forth. And has just continued on. And you know, not one day did my parents ever begrudge the fact that he's not in the ministry. Well, we love Todd because he's in the ministry and we're not so proud of Brian because he's not in the ministry. We've got to remove that kind of thinking and we want to drive our children to an understanding that we want them to be like Christ. Peter was not the same as John. John was not the same as James. James was not the same as Judas, not the Judas that was bad. (laughs) None of them were the same. But the truth of the matter is that they all had ways in which Christ discipled them to reach their full potential, and they went out and spread the gospel to a lost and dying world. I wonder tonight if you're in the midst of deceiving God, deceiving your spouse, possibly deceiving your children. I wonder tonight if in your home children are trying to deceive parents, and if deception is actually in control. Well, those are the conditions that led to the deception. Number two, would you notice the consequences of the deception? Chapter 27 and verse number six. Here's the consequences. 
Rebecca spake unto Jacob, her son, saying, Behold, I heard thy father speak unto Esau, thy brother, saying, Bring me venison and make me savory meat that I may eat and bless thee before the Lord before my death. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice according to that which I command thee. Go now to the flock. Fetch me from thence two good kids of the goats, and I will make them savory meat for thy father, such as he loveth. We go all the way down through the story. Isaac had diminished eyesight. He sends Esau out for one last opportunity to hunt and bring in that savory meat. Rebecca overhears this and she's like, okay, this is the way that it's all going to work out. And so she takes her son Jacob and manipulates the whole circumstance and they deceive Isaac. Isaac blesses Jacob and then Esau walks in and says, well, where is my blessing? And Isaac realizes what he's done. Okay, so here's the consequences of the deception. Number one. Isaac is now angry with his spouse. How could my spouse deceive me like this? So angry with their spouse. Number two, they're angry with their sons. Isaac's angry at Jacob. Rebecca angry with Esau. Angry with their spouse. Angry with their sons. And number three, angry with their siblings. It's so bad that... Jacob is going to run because his mom says, hey, it's too dangerous for you to stay here. Esau's going to kill you. So here's what we find happening in this ancient home. Mom and dad are working against each other. Let me ask you right now in your home, are you all working against each other? Well, wife has these goals, husband has these goals, and they do not line up. Our spouse is working against each other. Are you all working against your children? Is mom and dad working against children and children are working against mom and dad? Boy, there's a lot of stories I could share. Parents working against children and children working against parents. Are your kids working against each other? Now we've got two and we hope that they'll continue a great friendship through the years and they'll be best of buddies through the years. We don't know all that's going to transpire, but we want them to be tight. We want them to have a wonderful friendship and a wonderful relationship. We want our kids to want to come back to see us and everything like that. We want to have a special friendship. And by the way, that's what we've enjoyed with both sets of our parents. So we have enjoyed thoroughly the opportunity to be with her family at different times and then with my family. And we just have the best of times and can't wait for the next time to get together. But boy, you know, in a lot of homes, you'll interact with siblings that haven't seen each other in 25 years because they're so angry with each other. So I haven't talked to my brother in 25 years. Well, why haven't you talked? Well, 25 years ago, he did this or 25 years ago, she did this. And there's a deep divide. Children are working against parents. This, my friend, is a very modern day problem. Spouses are not on the same page spiritually, emotionally, and physically, and so they are at odds. And the truth that I want to drive home with you tonight is that you are one flesh with your spouse, and you are not one flesh with anyone else. Oh, but you don't understand. We finally had our baby girl. We've prayed for this girl for all of our lives. Now, not in your family. They're probably praying for a boy. (laughs) But we just love this little girl. She's so precious. I watch parents that don't discipline the little girl. She grows up being a brat. She gets into teen department and she's a brat for the youth pastor. She comes to camp. She's a brat for the counselor. She's just a brat. You say, oh, I can't believe that someone would say that. Listen, as a youth pastor for eight years, I've dealt with the brats, all right? And mama don't see it. And I'm like, if you don't do anything about this, I'm telling you the next person's going to be miserable is her husband. And if she ever finds someone that's going to say, will you marry me? Oh, my word, they are in trouble. Well, the truth of the matter is that I asked my wife to be one flesh with me. 
God blessed our home with two children, but they're not one flesh with either of us. They're coming and they're going. All right? But my wife and I are one flesh. Do not let Satan use anyone else to drive a wedge in that one flesh relationship. Family, I believe with all of my heart, begins at marriage, not when you have kids. Okay? Some are of the opinion, well, if we have kids, we'll be a family. No, you're a home the minute you said I do and you took on the relationship and the connection of that one flesh relationship. Now, we have in this current society made children the center of the attention. And that's exactly what happened here with Rachel and or with Rebecca and Isaac. They made their boys the center of their attention. Oh, my world revolves around what my kids do. And you know, I find more and more individuals that are now empty nesters that are getting a divorce because they don't know how to communicate with each other because, well, we just stayed together for the kids. Children don't come, though, with a receipt and an instruction manual. (laughs) Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, I got my kid at Walmart. (laughs) Got a 90-day guarantee on him. It's not working out very well. I'm taking him back. (laughs) They don't come that way. They come to be trained and they come to be sent out. And listen to this carefully. I'm going to give you four things. Dad needs to love mom above all else. Mom needs to love dad above all else. Dad ought not to wonder if mom loves him more than she loves boys. Dads, I'm a firm believer that you ought to date your daughter, but you shouldn't be dating your daughter more than you're dating your wife. Okay? I believe one of the things that's happening with our young people today is daughters don't have the love from their dads that they really need, and they look for love from some piece of garbage, and they find it in that one, and they make poor decisions. And I'm saying to you all, we must demonstrate that dad loves mom, mom loves dad. Here's the third thing. You know what? Parents love kids. Boy, we love our boys. I remember the first time he got in the automobile and and drove away to college. Man, I hated it. I hated that. When he got on that plane and was flying out for Fort Benning, we didn't know the next time that we would necessarily see him. We, We thought we had it all mapped out. But man, I'm telling you what, as parents, and I can still remember it right now, we drove down to Fort Benning, Georgia. He'd finished his 10 weeks of basic And we don't know where exactly he is in his platoon, but all we hear is this cadence coming around the corner. And my wife and I and my my other son were there, and this cadence of about 40 individuals comes marching around the corner, and we're like, oh, there he is. No, that's not him. Oh, there he is. No, they all look alike. (laughs) But I'm telling you, as soon as he got up and he was right face to face with us, now he's got his trained focus and everything like this. Man, I'm telling you, I was so pumped to see my son. I was so excited to see him, so proud to see him and everything like this. Listen, I will not diminish the fact that we love our boys, but I don't love them as much as I love her. This is my one flesh relationship. And it must be obvious that the parents love the children. And then here it is. The children love the parents. Husbands, do not let your children disrespect your wife. She's not the old lady upstairs. Wives, do not let your sons and daughters disrespect the husband. Those are the kinds of things that Satan will use to destroy your home. And this is exactly what comes from the the conditions that were so ripened with the favoritism and the foolishness and the fear. And it's all in this big pot mixed up so that everybody's working against each other. Now, we do have it in our radar that we want to retire. And you know where I want to retire? I would love to retire close by one of the boys or both of the boys, perhaps, if that's the Lord's will. I'd love for that to work out. Why? Because we love them. But this is all conditional based upon what God wants to do. And we have made it clear to our boys, boys, we want you to go wherever God wants you to go. We want you to say whatever God wants you to say, and we want you to do whatever God wants you to do. If that means we can be close to you, then great. If that means that we're distant, then we understand that as well. All right, let's go to one more. 
Here's the cure for the deception. Here's the cure. If you are in the midst of this now, what can be done? Ephesians chapter 4, if you'll flip over there with me. By the way, this chapter is the put off, put on principle chapter. We ought to put off things and we ought to put on other things. It's the replacement chapter. It's the spiritual growth chapter. Ephesians chapter 4. How do I deal with deception? Here it is. Verse number 25. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Okay? So let's go back and let... Okay, so we know how the situation worked out. God told them you're going to have two sons. They're both going to be the head of a nation. The younger or the older is going to serve the younger from that moment, Rebecca begins to manipulate things, begins to show favoritism. Isaac is showing favoritism, everything like this. Instead of them doing it this way, this is what should have happened. Isaac and Rebecca should have started here and said, hey, God's blessed us with two boys. Let's train them both up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Let's let them be individuals. Let's let them flourish in their own arenas. Let's challenge them to seek after Jehovah and to be exactly what Jehovah wants them to be. And then they would have trusted God, not living in fear, but living in faith that God was going to bring about the circumstances by which the older would serve the younger. What's the solution? This passage is easy to read, but hard to follow. If you have trouble with deception, this is where it starts. Put away lying. Speak every man truth. Tell the truth. Say, Pastor, where do I start telling the truth? What's the next thing that's going to come out of your mouth? Well, I tell you, if someone struggles with deception, it's going to affect every area of their life. It's going to affect their home. It's going to affect their workplace. It's going to affect them in their church life. If they're struggling with deception, this is an ancient home with a very modern problem, this modern issue of deception. Number one, I have to acknowledge the sin. I'm going to acknowledge the sin and just say, Lord, I'm coming clean with you. I know I've been living a deceiving life. I've not been honest with my spouse. I've not been honest with my boys. By the way, when we were having our discussion, I was standing over here and we, we discussed something, one of the questions or whatever. I wanted to throw this in. Dads, if I could speak to you for just a moment, I am not above asking my wife for forgiveness. Okay. There have been times in our marriage where I have spoken to my wife in a wrong way and God has convicted me and I had to go back to her and say, please forgive me because I did not speak to you as I should. And I knew that I had wounded her. Say, well, that's not very macho. I'm not trying to be macho. I want to be godly. The second thing that I wanted to reinforce, and I was standing over there and I don't remember which one it applied to, but here's the other thing. I am not above apologizing to my boys. And there have been a couple of occasions in the process of training them up that I've gone back to them and said, sons, please forgive me because dad got mad and he addressed you in an angry way instead of in a loving way. Now, if you really want to make things clean in your home as they should be, then you have to first come clean with Almighty God and say, Lord, I'm fed up with this life of deception. And then you have to come clean with your spouse and your family. And you have to put away lying and say, you know what? That's not going to be the ingredient that dominates my life anymore. The outcome of Isaac, Rebecca, Esau, and Jacob would have been far different if they were all pulling together towards God's will. But they were actually working against each other. And it shows, number one, acknowledge the sin. No gray area, no excuses. Number two, address the sin. Honey, please forgive me because I've been living, living a deceptive life. I don't want this anymore. Wives, be quick to forgive. Husbands, be quick to forgive. If your spouse comes to you tonight and says, listen, this has been the, the nature of my life, don't hold it against them. Don't hold out and say, well, if that's the way it's been, then I'm just going to tell you right now. You know, No, 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 no. 
When it's addressed, you need to forgive. And that's what we, we talked a little bit about, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. And from this day forward, you speak the truth. So tonight, if I were to take stock of your marriage and I were to equate it to the old Wells Fargo horses and carriage sailing down the paths of the old west and you see those tandem horses back to back or front to front and they're pulling that thing and man they're just skimming along the ground man they're just race horses pulling that wagon is that kind of the description of your home everybody's pulling in the same direction everybody wants the same outgo outcome or is everybody kind of doing their own thing? I'm pulling in my direction because I'm going to get what I can. So dad's pulling against mom. Mom's pulling against dad. Children are pulling against parents. Parents are pulling against kids. I'm telling you, this, met, this issue of deception will just wreak havoc. It's an ancient home with a very modern problem. But I wonder if your modern home has this very ancient problem. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to speak with these folks tonight and to deal with the issue of deception. Help us, Lord, to speak the truth. And the Bible tells us to speak the truth in love. I appreciate so much the faithful attention of these dear folks, and I appreciate their endurance uh, in our study of these ancient homes. Uh, but I, I, I'm fully aware of the fact that at times we'll think it's better to deceive our spouse over a matter instead of being truthful. And boy, that's a lie of Satan. Satan always wants me to live that deceptive life, to keep something from my spouse, to keep something from my children. He wants to drive a wedge so that we're not that uniform team of horses that are all pulling in the same direction. And Lord, I pray that tonight you'd bring conviction to each heart and remind us that we have, an, we have a responsibility to put off and put on. When we look at the lives of Isaac, Rebekah, Esau, and Jacob, we see four individuals that were pulling and tugging and directing things and manipulating things that would work out for their own way. Instead of working on behalf of the Lord's will. And uh, it just wreaked havoc in the lives of every single one of them. Jacob begins to fear that Esau wants to kill him. Jacob spends all these years away. And even when he comes back, he divides up all of his family because he's still scared to death that his brother's going to kill him on first sight. And so, Lord, I pray that these issues, if they be found in any one of these couples or families or extended families, Lord, I pray that we'd begin to work on it tonight. We just say, Lord, help us to pull in the same direction. Again, I thank you for the attention of each one. You know the heart of every male in this room. You know the heart of every female. And Lord, if there be any wicked way in us tonight, would you search us, know us, and help us to come clean? In Jesus' name I pray, amen.